and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I am your co-host, Kevin. Now, I'm hoping that wasn't <laughs> supposed to be French. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm hoping that wasn't supposed to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. Well, Unfortunately, it was supposed to be French, but not Jean-Claude Van Damme. Either which way, it sounded Russian. So uh, you, <laughs> My friends, listen here. You, listen. you failed miserably. I am from Paris. You must believe me now. Believe <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anywho, uh, we'll we'll just leave that at that. So, how are you, good sir? I'm I'm doing quite well. Awesome, awesome. Glad to hear it. Uh, we we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to record, even if you don't have the greatest French or Belgium accent in the world. Hey, you know, uh, uh, it happens. So we we all have a weakness. We've discovered mine. Two weeks in a row trying to do Jean Claude Van Damme and then and then a French accent. At least this time. At least we know you have a good Australian accent and a good Russian accent. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I might as well just do my Australian accent all the time and say, no, 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 no. That's French. Yeah. Oh, I might. <laughs> I'm from France. Uh, Me too. I'm also from France. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible undercover agents. Uh, yes. Anywho, what's new with you? Uh, well, you know, uh, it's it warmed up. Out here, so that means uh, where I live is jam packed. Uh, Everyone's just coming out to the beach, and fortunately, I work in the opposite direction, so I see the traffic, and I'm flying the other way. Nice, Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's nice and warm. Finally, uh, finally toasty outside, and 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 it uh, it's nice to take walks during the day. Definitely warmed up here. Because on Saturdays, I do one of my two strength training routines. It's just in my garage. I have you know all my own equipment and. For the last few months, I've had to layer up and wear this super heavy sweatsuit to get like a sweat on. So today, I still wore that exact same thing, multiple layers, thick sweatpants, really thick hoodie with like, so three layers up top. And man, I was drenched. So it was great. But it's it's like, ooh, it is, it's getting warmer out there. It's lovely here. But uh, even when I came down to L.A. this week for my, you know, one day of training, it was a lot warmer than it was when I left here, Fresno area, in the morning. It was really cold here. Then I got to Simi Valley, you know, around lunchtime, and it, I was like, whew, it was warm. But that's also the Central Valley. You know, we start even yeah. classically during the summer. It's like it can still be cool in the mornings, cool in the evenings, and then boiling hot during the day. Yeah, it it uh, it definitely – I think the day you came down was one of the hottest days we had yeah, so was, far this year. It was definitely warm. I felt it. Uh, and for people that don't know, Gavin doesn't just live in Venice or quote unquote Venice Beach. He literally is Venice Beach. When we, I literally am Venice Beach. Yes, Gavin is Venice Beach. No, uh, he to walk from your building to the beach is one minute maybe. Yeah, if you're walking slow. Yes, <laughs> and you hit the, the, the red light that's there. Yeah, there, there, there's a red light or there's a pedestrian crosswalk that people don't don't stop for. Right. So that can delay. That can delay your walk to the beach. Yeah. So that's how close he is. So you can imagine when it's, when it's popping, there's uh, all sorts of uh, people around. Yes. And a craziness. lot of, uh, a lot of uh, how should I say this? Body odor smells mixed with uh, suntan lotion wafting up. And that's when you know the, the tourists from... All of Los Angeles have hit Venice because it is 
But it there's is like there's also one key smell you're forgetting. Uh, yeah, th- yes, there's that smell as well. The smell of smoke. That is correct. A, a particular yes. kind of smoke. A very particular kind of smoke yeah. that wafts up mixed with body odor. <laughs> that one, well, that's with, the one that's definitely mixed with body odor usually. <laughs> yeah, mixed with the oil of Muscle Beach. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, an eclectic mix of smells. It's, uh, it smells very much like my hometown. <laughs> Which we have no idea where that is. No, uh, it's very I'm pungent. from Venice. I'm American from Venice Beach. Welcome <laughs> to Venice. Give me government secrets, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, so that's cool. Weather's picking up. Touristy LA is always going to be touristy LA. My God, my one day there, there this week, I actually drove into North Hollywood area to hang out with... Uh, with Herman for a bit in the afternoon in between training sessions. And uh, yeah, I had to drive through traffic, like more LA style traffic. And just every time I'm like, yeah, that's one of the reasons I left. Hey, if you're in North Hollywood, just, you just swing by. Come on, man. So Gavin and I have an ongoing gag about how, and anybody that's lived in LA or lives there now or has visited, LA people are very particular to their areas, their boroughs, if you will, like their side of town. And this is true. I mean, even I was, you know, uh, guilty of doing this, but not really to this extent where if you want to hang out with people, they typically don't want to leave their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Even if you suggest, I was always willing to suggest like a halfway point, like, okay, let's all meet in, excuse me, let's all meet in like Century City or something. It's a well, how about we meet a little bit closer to me? You're like, okay. So then you're like, all right, well, how about let's do, uh, I don't know. Okay, so then Santa Monica. Well, how about a little <laughs> bit closer to me? I mean, what do you mean closer? Can't you just come to Venice, man? Or, you know, it's it's always the case. People don't want to leave. They don't want to, unless it's, yeah. So even if I, some, you know, before, when I didn't live in LA years ago and I'd come to visit, I'd still run into that. It's like, hey, I just drove six hours, you know, let's we're all meeting here. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is this is very accurate. Yes. <laughs> there there <laughs> are people. I'm in North Hollywood. North Hollywood is what you, you say you're in North Hollywood, you're like maybe seven miles from downtown LA. Yeah, I just don't do the valley. How about uh, how about we meet uh, on this side of the valley? Then you you might mention Hollywood because it's literally on the first side of the valley. Uh, I don't just I just don't do Hollywood. <laughs> it's, yeah, I just don't do that. Or or you could suggest a place that's like easy for everyone to get to, ample parking, no issues, and it's yeah, I don't know. How about you come to my place and say, then you may just finally agree like, okay, I'll come to your place. What's the parking situation? Yeah. So here's my address and, uh, I'll see you soon. Yeah. Okay. What's the parking situation? Yeah. So <laughs> once again, here's my address and, uh, yeah, meet around seven. Thanks. I'll see you soon. No, what, what's the parking situation? And I love that because people just won't tell you because there's absolutely zero parking and you yeah. end up having to park like a 15 minute walk away or pay, you know, 20 to 30 for parking. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, uh, welcome to the martial arts parking podcast. The The main issue in Los Angeles, I don't think is the traffic for Angelinos. It is the parking. They yeah. don't want to give up that parking spot that they Well, that's found. a whole different situation. Yeah. When that leaving is. your house and especially you're going to go out in the evening and coming back late at night. And if you have to park on the street, depending where you are, forget about it. Like, yeah. especially, man, if you live in Koreatown, whew, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> 
But anywho, enough about parking, enough about all that. Let's talk about martial arts movie news. Do you have anything to bring to the table today, my friend? You know, I have absolutely nothing to bring to this table. Do you? I also have almost nothing to bring to this table. I will be watching Sakura tonight because it's available to stream and rent. Well, very cool. Yeah, so I'm going to rent it tonight. We're going to watch it here at home. I obviously would have preferred to watch it on the big screen and would have if it would have come out in my area, but it did not. So uh, we are going to rent it tonight and watch that. That should be exciting. Uh, Aside from that, martial arts movie news, nothing really uh, to report. Uh, The the 8711 action movie Sisu got a release date for next weekend. Yes. Which up until a few weeks ago, the trailer just said coming soon. But so it was kind of random. It's coming out next weekend. So that looks really cool. It's a World War II action film about, uh, where is it set? It's not Sweden. It's, uh, is it one of, is, it's one of the Nordic countries, I yeah. believe. And pretty much this dude is a Nazi killer and just, you know, the, the Nazis messed with the wrong guy. Uh, I I was reading somewhere where they said it was like the best trailer ever. Oh, it's a and great it's a, trailer. It's a great trailer. But and I love how they mention because he has a little doggy with him. How in some of the trailers they say, "Don't worry, the dog doesn't die." Yes, and you're like, "Okay, yes. that's good." I mean, no, I, I and that's very important because I I will say sometimes when I'm trying to get people to go to films or Emily to go mm-hmm. to a film, she's like, "Does anything happen to the dog?" If I can't tell her with certainty that nothing happens to the dog, then it might not be a film we watch. You know, I did forget to say that in the Twitter sphere, uh, action news is uh, Aaron Vargas mm-hmm. was joined uh, Action for Everyone podcast, and they discussed the film uh, Fist of the Condor. Oh, cool. Right on. Yes. Right so, on. We got some uh, Latino representation talking about some awesome Chilean Martial arts films. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very cool. Yeah, no, it was uh, great. I still need to watch that again. I'll probably, I'm probably not going to get to that for another few weeks. I'm a little busy doing other things. But I, as I said, I enjoyed it. It's definitely a good film. I need to watch it again and decide if it is a great film. Oh, I like that. Yeah. If there, if there's, if there's a question about it, that's always nice. If it's, if it's from good between good and great, that's that's always a nice pocket to have a film live in. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's almost, uh, I hate to say, an incomplete film. It 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 ends on a bit of a. I'm not even sure if you can call it a cliffhanger, but it's it's open. It's it needs a sequel to finish the story. That's for sure. So I guess technically it is kind of like a cliffhanger. So it's more so just the way they approach that and some of the narrative elements I need to watch again. But it's beautifully shot and executed. So uh, I just need to watch it again. I, and I, I I still need to watch it, period. There you go. I All need right. to get on it. Get on it. Get on it. Uh, anywho, cool. So do you have some movie quotes for me today? I, I do indeed. And in relation, both are in relation to the film okay. that we're discussing today as far as like, well, I'll just go with it. Okay. He ran north instead of south. And you're like, how's this in relation? Wait, think wait. about. Oh, it's I, it's like I can kind of see it. It's some. I feel like somebody gets killed for some reason. That, that, that's why they're saying because he ran the wrong direction. I'm not sure. Or maybe cliff, uh, uh, clotheslined. Uh, basically, 
in light of the film we're discussing and talking about like people or beasts, it's Hero and the Terror, Chuck Norris. Wow, that's and I that's your easy one. Uh, no, actually, that might be the hard one. Okay, that's good. I just wrote that one down first. I honestly haven't watched Hero and the Terror since I think middle school. So okay. that would be you know like twenty five years ago almost. So uh, it's been a minute since I've watched Hero and the Terror. I think the only thing, I think I almost loved that movie. As a kid, I almost loved the movie. And what really bothers me is Steve James. Getting killed, running, like getting running around killed. the theater. Like I still, that's so funny because the main thing I remember from that movie is him just like jogging, getting his workout in, jogging <laughs> around the theater. Yeah. And then, yeah. Come on, we could work this out. Just, just leave the theater. Run away, Steve James. You're faster than he is. Don't go up to him. Um, are you ready for the second quote? I am. I'm going to try a real, I won't do an accent this time. There is a time for diplomacy. I guess I am doing the accent and a time for action. Diplomacy is dead. Oh <laughs> man. Uh, the accent is in the wrong country from the wrong country. So now you're throwing me off. Cause I, at first it's like air force one. That's not right. Uh, oh. it's, it's not air force one. Think, think in the vein of today's producer. There is a time for diplomacy. Oh, it's Kissing the Dragon. Yes. Man, you just cannot do a French accent, can you? I know. You? What's going on? What are you talking about? I can do it. Oh, no. <laughs> Man. Well, but to, in all honesty, to check your carry-off, which I'm probably butchering his name, he has played Russian before. Remember, he played Russian in GoldenEye. And mm-hmm. so, uh, but his-, his I'm par- I have, I am of French descent. There is no reason that it just does not come out. I swear- when I'm not, when a microphone's not in front of me, it's the French just flows out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm, I'm sure of it. What language did you take in high school? Uh, English. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, that's a true, that's a good question because you did I, part I of high school out, in Japan. I tested out of taking languages. Oh, because you did Japanese or? Yeah. Ah. Guidance counselor. Oh, you don't need to take languages. What are you talking about? <laughs> I can't do it. I'm going to stop. Maybe yeah, it's not, just, I, I, I don't have enough hydration. That's that's the that's matter. It, that's it. That's it. Okay. So tell you what. Let's cut you off. No more accents. Let's get into talking about the fantastic film we are discussing today. Today, we are talking about the 2005 action drama thriller Unleashed starring, this cast is incredible, Jet Li, mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman. Bob Hoskins, Carrie Condon, amongst others, and directed by Louis Letier. I'm probably butchering his name once again. Uh, part of, he's pretty much a protege of Luc Besson. So he's mm-hmm. famous for having directed uh, The Transporter before this. Uh, he did uh, The Incredible Hulk movie in 2008. And he's actually going to be directing uh, the 10th Fast and Furious movie, Fast, uh, Fast X. So he took or the over. The or- yeah, the one that's coming out. He took over for uh, Justin Lin. Okay, I thought, he, yeah, I thought for some reason I saw his name this week uh, and I thought it was like number 11. Well, I think he's maybe been chosen. Yes, and he's also been chosen to do number 11 now too. Okay. So yeah, he's been around for me. He started off before this film. He had done mostly commercials and so mm-hmm. forth and been an assistant for Luc Besson, then did The Transporter and then obviously rolled into this. So uh, a very 
not just good action director, a very good director who obviously at this point now has a great filmography and a very talented guy. And the story uh, is uh, was written by Luke Besson. So we have a, a great team both in front of the camera, behind the camera, and what we get is a really unique action picture from a time where it was a unique time in the sense of we were getting this output of a lot of hyperkinetic kind of international action and martial arts films with a heavy Hong Kong influence thanks to The Matrix, what would have been like six years before this or seven years before this, you know, the transporter film, but also a heavy French influence in a sense because, you know, like the Luc Besson team doing, you know, once again, as I mentioned, the transporter films, Jet Li having already done Kiss of the Dragon, working with the same group of people, and then this film. So, and also, you know, you had other Jet Li films coming around that time. So what I'm trying to say is there's a, there was a lot of memorable films for that time and a lot of unmemorable films from that time. This is one of those films that really stands the test of time on top of that and is a very powerful motion picture. I mean, you and I both love Kiss of the Dragon. We will eventually do an episode on that. And overall, I still think that's probably my favorite of Jet Li's quote-unquote foreign output or Western films. But unleashed is just a good film overall yes, it is it's it, it it also speaks to casting yes and we've we've talked about this before where maybe one person is off a little bit like oh why did it depict that person it just it interrupts the flow or or someone else in that role uh could have been fantastic a great example uh, well we, we don't have to go into negative examples but this is a film of a really good example of great casting. Uh, you have all the dramatic, you have dramatic range and all the characters that need to be dramatic. You have uh, act, action range and all the characters that need to partake in the action. Uh, and then the side characters are also just so, have such a great look for film. Uh, I I just really love the casting of this film. So often, I think some movies try to cast only actors first some films try to cast only martial artists first and we've seen we've seen the ups and the downs of both of those in in throughout cinema history but this is just a well-balanced film and i have to say this this goes to show stuff that we already knew that jet lee is one of the finest actors out there yeah um and I think we had we had like answered a question before Black Belt Magazine on this you know on the air on a podcast episode where greatest martial arts actor and I don't think either of us necessarily mentioned Jet Li maybe you did I didn't no I but- mean the main reason why is he's not typically given roles where he has the range to truly act right mm-hmm. uh, you look at his early filmography and also the difference is you know Jet Li comes for those that don't know he comes from a martial arts background competitive wushu champion through his youth. Uh, I mean, he toured America as a youth. He famously performed on the White House lawn for Richard Nixon when he was a kid. So he grew up in performance-based martial arts, but more so like wushu, like uh, Mm -hmm. not for the stage per se, but performance-based nonetheless. So the point I'm trying to make is, let's say outside of, you know, Jackie and Sammo and those guys that came from the Peking Opera where they were also learning acting, and performance in that sense, yes, for the stage, but that's still kind of applicable. And they grew up on movie sets, and they were they were learning acting. Jet Li didn't learn 
acting from such a young age. He was more martial arts based. That being said, you know, he makes his big debut in Shaolin Temple when he's about Mm -hmm. 18. Shaolin, Shaolin, Shaolin. And then, you know, so he started pretty young, but he naturally had an acting ability. But you look at those early roles, he wasn't really given too much range. You know, uh, you try to even think of a pure dramatic film he did. Really, the first one I can think of would be Born to Defense, which he directed too. It's like the one movie he directed himself, which has much more serious tones. And even then, we're talking his third picture. You saw he was a great performer. He had a great uh, screen presence. But, you know, even after that, the Once Upon a Time in China movies are great. He's playing a serious version of Wong Fei Hung, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's not really like he's given the dramatic it's, range it's, needed. And he's also uh, dubbed still at that point, you know, for yeah. Cantonese and, and so forth. And so much of like the Once Upon a Time in the China films are, when it comes to the acting range, the the range are the actors around him, whereas his character is, is I don't, is Wong Fei Hung. Pardon, pardon me for saying this is not a stick in the mud, but it has to maintain a certain demeanor throughout the films. And that that's what we expect of 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 a legend of a of a folk of a folk legend, real life legend, uh, what have you. But in this film, he finally gets to, and we've seen this glimpses before. He finally gets to interact with the great actors around him, and it it's no longer around him. He is with them. It's it's it, these scenes are. Some of these scenes are beautiful, mm-hmm. beautifully shot at, at, for, from a dramatic acting perspective. Very much so. And so, yeah, we, he just never really he was great in all of his roles. You know, he had dramatic bits. He had a ton of comedic bits. Like you look at a lot of the films he did in the early 90s, you know, some of even the Wong Jing stuff or Corey Yuen stuff. A lot of that was purposely over the top. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you've got the like Mole Tao comedic elements thrown in there. But that was one of the cool things about when he went over to the West is I feel like he was starting to get a little more dramatic range because maybe it was to try to distinguish him from Jackie, who was very comedic in all of his American films from that time. And so they're like, all right, let's give Jet Li a more serious tone, which also gave him the chance to have some more dramatic range, which he previously didn't. Later on, he would have a, a lot more Chinese films where he got to display that, for example, Fearless or Hoi Yan Jia, uh, mm-hmm is a stellar example of that where he got to show a lot of his acting ability, you know, starting off more lighthearted and uh, less serious. And then the film, you know, the story takes a turn and then it's very dramatic. And so this film is just a, a great example of what a fantastic performer he is. So, uh, we should get into the basic premise of the plot. It's set in Glasgow uh, they never, I mean, they do say it, but it, it's never like really specifically supposed to, you know, be a, it's just a, you know, a kind of, it looks like a seedy underworld of Europe really is what they're, they're going for, uh, definitely in the UK, but, and Jet Li plays Danny, who is what can best be described as a human pit bull a, or a human, uh, attack dog. So mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins plays what would could be considered like a crime lord. He's pretty much a loan shark. And he's raised Jet Li since his youth, or Danny since his youth, to be his attack dog. So they have him literally trained like a dog. They keep him in a cage. They've trained him how to fight. Uh, they have a leash around his neck. 
And like an attack dog that may just, you know, sit there and not do anything until you give them the command, they give him the command and he will attack or kill anybody they tell him to. So he's like their last resort. If somebody doesn't want to pay up, unleash Danny. Or, oh, they're trying to fight back, unleash Danny. And so this is the life he lives. He has not been given an education. He does not know the outside world. He has a childlike demeanor to him when he's not in a violent in violent attack mode, he doesn't understand the world because he's never been taught about the world. Once again, he literally lives in a cage like a dog, eats out of a can, you know, just with his bare hands. He has chilled, like we're talking elementary, like children's books he looks at and reads, like picture books he can't read. So they've, they've he's a, a tortured soul who doesn't know any better. And through a series of events, he ends up not running away, but through uh, an accident is able to get away. And yes. he stumbles into the life of uh, the Morgan Freeman character and his uh, stepdaughter played by Carrie Condon. So we have Morgan Freeman plays Sam and Carrie Condon plays Victoria. So he inadvertently ends up in the care of them. Morgan Freeman is a uh, blind piano tuner and player and uh carrie condon uh or victoria is uh 18 year old that's there on a piano scholarship pretty much so they're from america and uh sam's her stepdad and uh they end up through these series of events taking care of danny and for you know it seems maybe like a couple months they take care of him they teach him about love and family how to be a human and he starts to not only understand what it means to be more than just a quote-unquote dog he also starts to have flashes of his early life before you know living with his uncle bart played by bob hoskins who is just an absolutely terrible human being yet at the same time still has a really sick weird love for danny so that's the setup the premise and then obviously his old life comes back after him and he's got his new life and then it's uh, a very unique film. The story is above par when it comes to a lot of films from that time or action films in general. And not only that, it's well-written. Luc Besson is a fantastic filmmaker, and th this plot could have easily been butchered in somebody else's hands, but instead we're given a very well-thought-out and uh, designed narrative all around the the story arc is great. The three-act structure, everything's great. The flow is great. And the performances are fantastic, uh, especially Jet Li. And sometimes it's just the little subtle things. And I was watching the behind-the-scenes feature, and the director, uh, Louis, or Louis uh, was talking about how, you know, meeting with Jet, and he had insecurities about the English language. You know, uh, it's funny, though. When you watch the behind-the-scenes, at that time, Jet Li's English was pretty good. But anywho, so they sent a dialect coach out to America to work with him for a couple months. And they said by the time he came to the movie shoot, he was no longer Jet Li, he was Danny. And so I oh, do wow. wonder if maybe this dialect coach was specifically, not just dialect, but maybe movement and body language too, because mm -hmm. he embodies the whole character. And some of the best parts of his performance are through body language, not the spoken language. Yes. I, and, and, you know, it's funny uh, when you speak about like language barrier, because we have seen, we had seen Jet Li 
obviously, uh, I think Kiss of the Dragon was four years prior to this film, if I'm not mistaken. I think Kiss yeah, of the Dragon. Yeah, you're was- about right because Kiss of the Dragon was 2001, I think. Yeah, so I can understand it's not that he's not able to convey the words or deliver the lines. It's can he understand them with his body and he and his emotions? And that and it, you're you're absolutely right because when I'm you, I think your assessment is absolutely right because as I'm watching this, when he responds and even when he responds without the words because you know at one point morgan freeman says we're not gonna we're not the type of people that ask questions the answers will eventually come so as he's as he's delivering information you can see he's delivering it with understanding physically before he actually delivers it with his words so it's a really kind of touching performance in places and not just because the storyline should tug your heartstrings but because of how he interacts. And I would go so far as to say that uh, Morgan Freeman is one of the highest highest caliber performing acting artists that we probably know of this of this generation or it, multiple generations. He he allows Morgan Freeman to be a little more subdued and also allows Morgan Freeman to react and act as well, rather than Morgan Freeman having to carry scenes, which we've seen sometimes. Yeah. And he could have easily been a caricature in this role, like, you know, the blind piano player type thing. And instead, you know, right out the gate, you may even get that feeling like, oh, okay, it's kind of cliche. But no, you forget all about that just because he makes the role so believable. And he just happens to be a character that's a blind piano player, right? That's not what defines him. There's there's so much more to the character of Sam, and we learn that as the film progresses. Uh, but then, man, Bob Hoskins too, though, is just wow, I know. so good. It's 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 a it's a very layered villain, yes. and we have seen. Listen, listen, he's wearing the white suit throughout the film, mm-hmm. uh, which which spans probably about twenty some years. With, with uh, when you go to when you consider the flashbacks, maybe not twenty years, but there, he's always wearing a white linen suit. So we, as an audience, when we see the flashbacks, we know who's in that scene. How so? It's it would be very easy for him to cookie cutter this. I'm going to be uh, two volumes: quiet, angry, loud, angry, and just look at the acts that I'm doing. And you as an audience must agree with me that I'm a terrible villain. No, what he does is he delivers this multi-layered, very, uh, I would say toxic, uh, what do you call it? What do you call those relationships? Codependent relationship that he has. And he's, he's, I don't even know if that's in the script. He's just pulling it out of the script. Really, truly one of the, one of the finer villainous performances yep. that we've seen in an action Kung Fu yeah, brilliant, brilliant assessment. In fact, he should have made our list of, you know, top 10 martial arts movie villains. It's just, you know, you can't think of them all, all the time, but you nailed it. It's that codependency, psychological abuser type relationship. Mm-hmm. And because even uh, in like the final scene where, you know, Jet Li has evolved as a human so much and, you know, he understands the world now and he doesn't want to hurt people. And, you know, he chooses love over violence and his new family, and this and that, even at that point, the uh, Bob Hoskins character, Bart, is still able to almost get him into this trance. He knows how to mm-hmm. control Danny because he has his whole life. And you see Danny kind of start to tilt his head like he does, almost like he's under his hypnotic spell because that's what it's been. This has been his abuser, his captor, uh, his whole life. And as we mentioned, it is a sick, twisted relationship because you can tell that Bart actually does 
love him in the way that he interprets love. This is a yes. seedy, violent crime lord that constantly gets prostitutes and, you know, does also like he's a, a twisted dude as it is. But well, yeah, no. And it's, it's funny because uh, even in the, you know, even in the final scene uh, where Jet Li is choking Bob Hoskins and Bob Hoskins is asking Danny to do it, to go ahead because it's his last toxic codependent because he knows if Jet Li kills him, then he will, Bob Hoskins will always have a hold on him. So even if Bob Hoskins loses his life, he knows that it's it's the final manipulation of destroying Danny's soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, just, I mean, we've talked about this, I think when we reviewed or uh, we discussed uh, Rage and Honor too, like in martial art films or even in Flash uh, Flashpoint, at the end, the the protagonist uh, be, you know, I know this isn't a, necessarily a martial arts film, but I mean, it is, but it isn't like martial arts is what made him choose not to kill Bob Hoskins. It was sort of the music that made him, but mm-hmm. there was, there's always an art element or an arc th- through the martial arts or through, in this case, the piano arts of uh, bringing a person to a higher level of humanity. And by him not doing that, he wins over the codependency. He wins over that toxic relationship. Right. And to so we've obviously given the basic rundown yeah. of the story. But if you go deeper into it, the music is essential to the plot. Wow. And then yes. it also, obviously, as we mentioned, the Carrie Conan character, Victoria, is there on a music scholarship uh, for piano. Sam himself is a, you know, he fixes pianos, piano player. But we also learn the connection between the Danny character and his background in music and his true uh history and his what you might call his long lost mom and the music starts to bring back his memory which then reveals Mm -hmm. the truth about his origin story about where his uncle bart truly found him etc and so that's very powerful in that sense too and it's very believable you're like okay it's a deep-rooted like psychological thing and the music almost helps wake him up out of that trance it it's funny as I'm there's there's a scene early on where Morgan Freeman's character and Danny Jet Li's character uh, share share a room. It's a room where Morgan Freeman is there to tune pianos while Jet Li's character is waiting outside, waiting to be called in to uh, defend or attack whoever Bob Hoskins wants him to attack. And we should say and, real quick, this is their first meeting, so that's yeah, why this, the the two worlds are coming together right then before. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, there's an introductory moment. And what's funny is the music before Morgan Freeman enters is very ominous. When Morgan Freeman enters, we start to hear a light piano. The ominous sound is still there. And then as Jet Li approaches, almost like a dog would when it realizes it can trust the person who's there, uh, the ominous music, the, the, the thick thumping beats disappears and clears and then it's just the piano and as i'm watching this scene i'm like aj is going to bring this up because we always talk about music and how soundtracks like we can talk about hong kong films whether it's wheels on meals or the spartan x japanese version when you're when you have the wrong soundtrack it can derail an entire film when you have the right soundtrack you get into it this is a soundtrack that lives with the film it is another character that is present it is essentially like it is essentially the third character in that room and it uh it's really uh it it's not about heightening it's about exploring the depth of these characters 
Yeah, and we have a great contrast in the music that's part of the diegesis of the film or like actually in the film as they're listening to it is very much classical music, right? That's what they're learning. But then the score that we get for the action sequence and so forth uh, is done by Massive Attack. And it's very much, of mm-hmm. it's good. It's of that time. It's kind of more of a, uh, I'm terrible with these more subgenres of music, like a, a Euro techno type track. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, 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 it definitely feels like music you would find in a club in Glasgow. Right. And the RZA also produced some music for the film. Oh, very uh, nice. Yeah. That, that, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look that deep. Well, it was, it, it was also means- on the, the DVD special features. Yes. I do still have my original DVD I bought in what would be maybe the end of 2005 or 2006, uh-huh. whenever it came out. So it, it's funny though, because Side note, I've mentioned this maybe a little bit before, the advances in technology in the in terms of, you know, I have a really nice Blu-ray player, I have a really nice, uh, you know, all TVs are really nice now. Uh, you know, I have the the nice speakers, the wireless, you know, just uh, sound bar. But a lot of the older DVDs don't keep up with the technology. So even if everything's synced up properly, because occasionally my sound bar gets unsynced and I have to, you know, reset it, that sometimes the sound will be slightly off. Like I've mentioned this with my DVD of Pedicab Driver, which was a mm-hmm. really kind of crappy release of it in a sense. It, uh, visually, it looks great, but it's just a, a very low quality DVD that Warner Brothers threw out there. But that one I cannot watch with my sound bar because the sound will not sync up no matter what because it's like the... Uh, I guess the technology of the DVD is so subpar. So this one, it was almost like it was it was in sync, but I could tell it was like a millisecond off. And I was like, eh, it was it wasn't enough to bother you, especially uh-huh. during the action. But I was like, eh, maybe. And even even the quality of it, it looks good. But if I had a Blu-ray, I'm sure it'd be like, whoa. So I definitely need to update it. But uh, the one of the funny parts about this. So before we get into talking about the action, which is incredible, uh, I remember specifically when I first watched this, but the crazy part is, and Jessica couldn't believe this when I told her because, you know, she's watched it before and she sat and watched the second half of it with me today as I was rewatching it. But this was your first time watching this movie. It was, it was, which is why he didn't watch, which is why Bob Hoskins did not make the top 10 list because you haven't even know about this character. I don't, but it's wild to me that you have never seen this simply because 2005, you were back living in America. Obviously, mm-hmm. you had been. Uh, you saw the other Jet Li films that came out, like Kiss of the Dragon and obviously the Jackie work. So do you know why this one just slipped through your I fingers? I was. It's funny because I was actually thinking about that today at work while I'm going up and down the stairs. I'm like, it's 2005. What was I doing this weekend when it came out? Because it does not make sense that it didn't go possibly, possibly like... 2005, I'd probably, by then I'm living in the Valley. So maybe I was talking to Marvin, you know, we had, we used to watch all the Jackie films, Steven Seagal films, Jet Li films that would come out. Maybe I was talking to him saying, Hey, we're going to go to it. And maybe life was getting busy for us. And so we, maybe I held out waiting. So I'm not blaming Marvin, but I'm just saying like, I can't think about what happened and why I didn't get to the film. I don't think it was in theaters for as long as, say, some other films like Rush Hour. Uh, but I mean, Rush Hour also was like late 90s when films had, when action films had time to grow a little bit. In the early 2000s, by that point, it was in and out. If you didn't catch in the first couple of weeks, you yeah, might miss it. You would, you would at least get a month uh, and then maybe 
two months at, you know, a random screening. And then you'd have to, maybe the dollar theater would be your last resort, uh, you know, a few months later, but it did, uh, it did okay. And it, it actually beat the projected U S box office. It wasn't projected to make a, a lot of money, but so it, I mean, th- th- there's a, there is a good chance also that this was when I was really pushing hard with soccer. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally get, for example, even not getting the chance to go see in theaters. Cause I know exactly what you're talking about when you're waiting to go see it with a friend waiting, waiting, never happens. I mean, that happens to Jessica and I all the time. It's like, yeah, we want to go see something together. It doesn't work. doesn't work a few weekends later. And then it's, you know, okay, we just got to wait until it comes out on, in this case at that time, like home video. Right. So you, but you never even got the chance to rent it or watch it. No, I, I think I, I, there got to, it got to a point where I started, uh, restraining from watching it, hoping that, you know, because I'm going to the, at, at that point, I'm probably going to the new Beverly quite regularly, like, oh, you know, an action film will eventually make its way to a screening somewhere. And so you just hold out and who thought I would hold out close to 20 years? Hey, no, it's, I'm more just fascinated. I'm not like, how dare you? You're no, I know. I don't, I'm fascinated at how it happened. I don't, I don't know the timeline of, of coming up with excuses for 18 years. But really, I feel like you're lucky because you got to oh, experience yeah, yeah. now and it, it, because it has you know, as I said, it stands the test of time. It's like me purposely. There's some classic Hong Kong cinema films and classic Hollywood cinema films. I I purposely haven't watched yet. It's like I'm holding out because I know we're never going to get films like that again. So there are some, like you may ask me, oh, AJ, have you ever seen Bulba? And I'd be like, no, but there's a reason why I'm waiting. And maybe next year I'll watch it, right? Like I have a handful of these movies uh, mostly I'd say like classic Hollywood cinema, but there's still, there's still some, some Hong Kong ones even, but I can tell you the exact day I went <laughs> and saw this movie because it was the day it opened in America, which was May 13th, 2005. And I'll tell you why, not just because, oh, I always went on opening day. No, I specifically remember because May 13th, 2005 was also my very last day of IB testing my senior year of high school. So so I've mentioned it briefly before. I was in the IB program in high school, which for people that don't know, everywhere else in the world, everyone knows International Baccalaureate. It's like the the creme de la creme of high school academic programs. Like almost all international schools use it. Still not very well known in America. America, we have like AP uh, Mm -hmm. or below that CP, college prep, and then advanced placement or whatever. But I went to Modesto High School, which in the late 90s was like the worst high school in a good chunk of California. So, uh-huh. in, in, in it, you know, wasn't, it's not in a good neighborhood and it's a massive high school. And in order to try to bring up the academic scores, they decided to implement the IB program, which is uh, at that time. And even when I was in high school, it was, it was rare. Most schools don't, didn't have that, especially, you know, in, in California, even uh, I remember there was maybe one school, the closest one to us was maybe Stockton had an IB program, either which way they put it in there in the late nineties, uh, to really try to boost up test scores. So, it, you know, it was hard to get into. You had to test to get into it or, you know, have like perfect grades. And the dropout rate is insane. You know, we most they would allow 150 kids in freshman year to be full-fledged, you know, IB program. And then, for example, by the time we graduated, the the full-fledged class was less than 50. 
Some kid, you know, if you were a local student that was going to Modesto High, you could pick and choose some classes if you got into them, like for if like, let's say you were really good at math. But for me coming out of the school district, I had to stay in the full program. Otherwise, I would have had to go back to my local high school. So it was a very intense academic program, pretty much like college level courses starting in high school on a high school format. So, you know, eight classes a day, every day. Uh, cause I was on that schedule, not the AB schedule, whatever. I had the same classes every day, you know, eight periods and it was just hell. I'll put it this way. College or university was a breeze, like easy, easy compared to high school. So long story short, I've worked my butt off this entire time. And then your senior year, you have to take what are your final IB tests, which is a cumulative, uh, examination of everything you've learned in these subjects over four years. Now, this doesn't have any bearing on you graduating or even necessarily getting into college because by this point, we had already applied to all of our colleges and heard back. You know, this is Mm -hmm. the end of your senior year, but this gives you a second diploma. So you get a separate IB diploma. So, you know, you worked your butt off. And so this was pretty much going to, you know, you you have like two weeks of testing. There are hours upon hours, you know, Spanish, history, math, whatever, whatever. And that Friday morning was my very last test. And I remember it was biology, my worst one. And you, you, we've just been working our butt off for four years. This is, and so this is, once again, it's May 13th. Most uh, like, I think we, our last day of high school is like June 10th or something around that time. At this point, most of our teachers are like, hey, once you're done with your IB test, we're not even going to give you regular finals. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the last month was just hanging out. A few teachers mm-hmm. still did, but we're like, whatever. So this was literally going to be the end of four years of hell for me. And I do that final test. I remember just walking out and we got off the rest of the school day. So we were done at like 10 in the morning. You know, we did so, our, this test from like seven or eight in the morning till 10 or 11. And me and my group of friends are like, we're going to see Unleashed because the, my senior year, especially I had started a group uh, in Miss Castellani's class at lunch, which she was an English teacher and our theory of knowledge teacher. And she had a big classroom with like a computer lab in the back. But I would just bring my Kung Fu movies and play them at lunch. And we'd watch them, you know, maybe over two or three days. Some days we'd play like video games in the back. But so I had this like group of people that watched, you know, Kung Fu movies with me. And so this group, we all went. Uh, I still remember which movie theater we went to. We did not go to Brendan Theaters in Modesto. We went to uh, the other one on McHenry. I can't think of the name of it right now. It was new at that time. And I, I just remember this this feeling of relief. I can't even explain to you and just being so happy and then going to see this movie and then just being my mind blown. It was a fantastic day is what I'm trying to say. I I, I hear you. There, there, <laughs> there Like for for probably a lot of our listeners, for you and I, there there are days where we, I would like schedule going to a movie after an accomplishment as the celebration. And I, like, I, even like, as you're describing this, the first, the first thing I was thinking about was the day I got my braces off. And I'm like, I know I'm getting it off at like 10 or 11 a.m., so I'm going straight to the movie theater. I'm ordering popcorn and I'm watching whatever action movie was on, which at that time was uh, Iron Man. And I had never like read any of the Iron Man comics or anything like that. I just, but it was one of those 2000, days. 2008 is when you got your braces off? Yeah, I I, I had uh, I had a soccer injury. Oh, 
So okay. my my teeth, my, some guy slammed the ball off of my face, and so that's when I went to the dentist. And I'm like, hey. he's like, you, you get braces. So I okay. got braces like after college. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, man, your your timeline's a little off, but okay. Yeah. No. So yeah. So I I, I remember like there are days of celebration, and for me the best kind of celebration is going to watch an action film, ideally a martial art film after an accomplishment. So I, I, I can understand how the, you can remember this day specifically. Yeah. So I went off on a huge tang- tangent. So let's get into the fight scenes. Right out the gate, the film opens up with a fight scene, which sometimes as far as, you know, being an overall steady picture, you may think, uh, it's starting with an action set piece. That's not a good sign. No, it's the perfect sign. It, you know, we have a few little opening credits that roll, and then it goes right into it. And that first action sequence is maybe my favorite of the whole movie, and that says something because we have some great ones throughout. But it's an introduction to Danny as like uh, the mm-hmm. pitbull, the dog, and he's being unleashed on uh, a group of guys that don't want to pay up. And we are given an introduction to the style of Danny as a fighter. So it's obvious he has some training and Bart even says to him, you know, I trained you. He's got a heavy bag in his cage. He hits. So his style is very animalistic, savage, but also with some real martial arts uh, thrown in there, mostly like a kickboxing type style, but he occasionally Mm -hmm. does more intricate martial arts type stuff. Like in that opening sequence, he does kind of a wushu type fan kick. And then uh, in the finale, he does almost like some chin gnaw or joint manipulation type stuff, Mm -hmm. but it all looks very natural. Like, Hey, after a lifetime of being a savage street fighter, this is what works for him. But in this opening sequence, we're given a whole different style from fight choreographer Yuen Wuping too, who's known yes, especially in that, so. in that era for his more graceful kung fu fluidity, like that we saw in the Matrix. This is different. This is savage. This is brutal. This is hard hitting, and a, a real treat to viewers, especially if you're a fan of Yuen Wuping, because you're still getting that stellar level of choreography, but also for fans of Jet Li, because you're getting to see him fight in a way you've probably never seen him fight. No, it's funny because it it's it's this very unique blend of. At first, it was like, "Is wait, is Corey Yoon involved with this?" Mm-hmm. And then there's there's some kind of a little more balletic movement to it, and then you know, of course, I know that it, I knew it was Yuan Wu Ping, but there's there is it is unlike other Yuan Wu Ping movies that you point out, and it's also just so animalistic yet powerful and defined and clean but not so clean that it that it looks like uh a trained martial artist Precisely. It, it's yeah it, it's uh it's brutal it's like and but the, you, you know he has to be trained but yes yeah exactly it's 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 this really it's everything is driven from the character the script the reactions the acting and the choreography which is really special it's 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 as if obviously these top uh artists who've worked together uh who worked together on this understood that this was a character driven piece and so you didn't you didn't come in you didn't all of a sudden get um matrix style fights right not at all and as as gavin nailed it because it's you know it's it's like we're both saying it's he's obviously trained but it's not coming off like kung fu or martial art 
martial artist performance base is just he's a savage like you know he kicks he punches he blocks but then sometimes he's literally just beating down like ground and pound in the most vicious way head butts hammer fists elbows a lot of that stuff so we get this great opening sequence then we get another one shortly after that mm-hmm. in uh the jewelry location and they do a great job just artistically too, our director, a lot of the slow motion stuff when people are like flying through walls or hard hits, really well done. That's kind of more of that Luc Besson uh, team French style. So it's a great combination of uh, it kind of like what we got with the Matrix with Yuan Wuping and the Wachowskis. Here we're getting Yuan Wuping with, we'll just say the Besson crew, right? Like that French style of action that is very well done. And so we get these two great, fight scenes to open up, but then we get a little bit of a lull in the action in the sense of when Jet Li escapes, quote unquote, and starts to live uh, with Morgan Freeman uh, and Carrie Condon or the, you know, the Sam and Victoria. And, you know, it goes a little bit, but you're never like yearning for more fight scenes. We've already had a great amount at the beginning. And now we're getting this development of the character of Danny, the loving family relationship. Danny's performance is, excuse me, Jet Li's performance is just so good. We've mentioned the body language and stuff, but like one of my favorite beats I just want to say is during one of the montages of them, like, you know, becoming a family is when he's on the boat with her. Yes. And it starts off with her and she's like, you're overreacting. Then it cuts to Jet Li because it's his first time ever in a boat. He's never done yeah. it. And the look on Jet Li's face is priceless. It's so believable. He's petrified. And that's the crazy part. We've seen him now being this savage killer, literally killer fighter, but like an attack dog. It's like I was talking with Jessica, you know, a lot of these dogs that are forced into these, you know, like dog fighting and this and that when they're yet their masters have them under this control where they're scared of them. Like, you know, and they go into the corner and they're afraid. But then once they're in attack mode and they hear their commands, they'll viciously fight another dog. But then their master is able to just beat them down, keep them submissive. And that's exactly what Jet Li's character is like. We see that even when he first starts to live with them, he's hiding mm-hmm. under the bed. He's scared of them. Yet this is a dude that kills people like, you know, every week. So mm-hmm. I digress a little bit. So pretty much when he's forced back into that world after, you know, getting his new life and then the gangsters find him, uh, he goes back to you know, his, his uncle Bart forces him back to fight again and he doesn't want to. Uh, yeah. And at this I don't point- want, I don't yeah. want to hurt anymore. I, I don't want to hurt, hurt anyone anymore. anymore. Yeah. And so, because his uncle Bart at this point has now brokered a deal for him to be like a pit fighter of sorts. And we get this great action piece. So it's like the perfect timing for even the the hard, most hardcore action junkie. If you're starting to get a little bit of that itch, that's when this scene comes in and it's perfect. Yeah. It's and, like a, and the scene- and the scene elevates. Uh, it, it's almost like a three-act sequence. And what's funny is it still works within the script because he's, I don't want to hurt people anymore. I don't want to hurt people anymore. And then so Bob Hoskins, after trying to do different types of motivational speeches, whether it's I'll buy you a piano or it's you get in there, uh, you know, trying to scare him into it. He just pushes him in. And then so the fight starts. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll probably break down the fight sequence, but even at the very end of the fight sequence, when he refuses to do sort of the gladiator move of of killing uh, his opponent any longer, Bob Hoskins, in and yet again, that codependent mindset pulls out his gun and shoots the person he was fighting so that the audience gets what they want so that his his Danny is protected because while he's still mad at Danny, he's still has this like loving relationship to Danny. But uh, 
I fast forwarded over the fight because I really want to get into the fight yeah. with you to hear what you have to say about like the different styles we saw on that. Right. So at this point, Danny doesn't want to hurt people anymore. So he's just on the defensive. And the first guy he fights is uh, Silvio Simak, uh, or I'm mm-hmm. probably butchering his last name, but a fantastic Taekwondo practitioner, martial artist, stuntman, uh, who to this day is still built like that. He's built like a bodybuilder, but moves like you know, a top level Taekwondo athlete. Cause that's what he is. Uh, and we have a great kickboxing style fight between the two of them with Jet Li just being defense, excuse me, defensive, you know, a lot of, uh, just blocking, pushing him away, blocking, absorbing hits. Cause he doesn't want to hurt anybody. And, you know, Bart the whole time is telling him, you know, you've got to fight, you've got to fight, uh, for two reasons. A, he doesn't want to get in trouble and lose money. B, he's, weirdly worried about Danny. It's like a back and forth thing. So the guy putting on the events, like, you know, do you mind if we make it more interesting and starts to, you know, throw in weapons down there. And then, uh, he throws down a weapon. And then when like Danny's refusing to be offensive, that's when they're like, all right, let's change it up. And they throw in a whole pool of fighters down yeah, there. Three, three more assailants. Yep. Three more assailants. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I don't know the, uh, female fighter's name. She does a great job, but I, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know her name. However, I do know the other two. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm assuming you realize who the, uh, Caucasian gentleman with the spiky hair was. I recognize. So again, like this is my oh, first time. You viewing. didn't recognize him then. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me go back. I've got everything pulled shame, up here. Shame, shame, shame. Bear with me. Let's see if I'll recognize him from the... Okay, tell me who. Scott Atkins. Oh, oh no, okay, hold on a second. That's actually not true. I did recognize him. Okay. And I was going to say, the guy looks like Scott Atkins no, to it you. it is Scott Atkins. Are, are you kidding yes, me? Yes, that is Scott Atkins. Well, one of his I had, early okay, roles. I didn't. So I, I, I watched the movie twice since mm-hmm. yesterday. I did not watch the end credits. I guess just got to Yen Wu Ping as a martial arts choreographer because I was pressed for time to rewatch it. I'm watching that scene. I'm like, this guy looks like a thin Boyka, a thin Scott Atkins. Well, when you think and about it's it, it, it's yeah. because it is him. He had done some major stunt roles by that point, obviously, like yes. the Medallion and Black Mask 2. And, uh, but the only, and he had done Special Forces, which he mm-hmm. had a supporting role in. But aside from that, he hadn't done, uh, un, uh, he hadn't started the Boyka character yet. He hasn't, he hadn't done uh, Undisputed 2. So he wasn't a household name at that time. But uh, so yeah, Scott Atkins in an earlier role before he had really like, bulked up and uh he's okay th- it's, well, also it's that- funny because as soon as i saw him in the scene i'm like even the even the goatee it's like a little it's a little uh trimmed back i'm like it kind of looks like him but i'm just watching the i'm just watching it on my computer right. and and then the the other performer uh is sedina balde who is a uh, very well-known multi-time world and european uh karate kumite champion who i had the pleasure of working with on two films in china Okay. So uh, I remember I worked with him on a short film that was supposed to be like a pitch for uh, a series that I don't think got picked up. But then I, the one like full fledged movie I did, uh, Covert Operation, which ended up being the the title they they changed it, which is the one uh-huh. that I did with him and uh, Jason Tobin and a few other people. He was the lead. So that's Sedina Balde, and they're a fantastic martial artist. I I and I was just telling Jessica, I'm like it's such a bummer that he hasn't gotten his big break yet still because even the movie i did with him was back in 2011 2012 but a really great guy a really amazing martial artist still not too late i'm sure he's still a fantastic performer uh but yeah so he plays the other one and at this point 
the Danny character is still passive. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Then they throw down all the weapons. So now all he's fighting all these people and they have weapons. So eventually he gets dazed enough and hit enough where he's like in this weary state of, oh, and because it's like almost his subconscious, like, you know, he he's, he's losing control. So at this point he hears Bart yelling at him and he reverts back to the old Danny and then becomes the quote unquote dog again. And that's when he just starts making mincemeat of them, easily handling all of them, smashing them with their own weapons, like Mm -hmm. breaking the bones. And the way they do this is really unique. He has like a sledgehammer and even the the female fighter, he slams her down. He's just grounding and pounding her. And then he uses the sledgehammer to break a bunch of bones, particularly, Oh, poor Sedina Baldi. Uh, he breaks like both of his arms, like in the sound effects, like, ah, and then he tries to tackle him. the other one. He breaks down mm-hmm. and then he falls over and you're like, Ooh, crippled for life. Uh, but he eventually comes to his senses at the end. And right as he's about to smash the hammer down on Scott Atkins head, he goes to the side. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because it, that, that also goes back to, uh, the, the sequence when he first meets uh, Morgan Freeman and they're talking about piano. Like if you pound a piano too hard, it's going to be out of tune. It's like the way you treat humans, you can't pound them too hard or else you'll, you'll break it. You'll destroy it. So when he's like springing that sledgehammer up and over and it hits the ground at first, because the script is so, it doesn't telegraph. I'm like, did he go through with it mm-hmm. or not? And then the camera pans out and you see it's right beside Scott Atkins' head. And uh, um, yeah, well, I I, I got to listen to my instinct more often, like, because I thought for sure, but I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass myself. And, and <laughs> but man, no, it's uh, the sequence is so well done. And then that's where we, that's where, of course, we, we have Bob Hoskins, like become codependent all of a sudden and then shoot. Shoot, he shoots Atkins, right? Or does he shoot the guy with the broken arms? Does he, no, no, he no, no, shoots, he shoots uh, uh, Silvio Simak, I believe. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's I, who he almost hits with the sledgehammer, right? Or was No, it was Scott, it was Scott Atkins was okay. the, the last one. I'm pretty sure he shoots Silvio, though. But so at that point, you know, he takes Danny home, beats him up, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then it's still like, you know, we, we could still bounce back from this and blah, blah, blah. It's, and then shortly thereafter, Danny escapes again. This time he escapes. He's like, you know, Bart starts talking about them as a family, but then he realizes in his head, no, you're not my family. Mm -hmm. No, you're like, I need to go back to my real family. So he crashes their car. He escapes. He gets home, meets up with uh, Victoria and Sam, tells them, you know, what his uncle Bart revealed about his mom, which is totally untrue. They, through their teamwork, discover who his mom really was. And then through the power of music, his memory is brought back and he realizes, oh my God, Uncle Bart killed my mom. He knows they're going to be coming for him. And sure enough, they show up at their house. He has to hide them away. And then that's the finale where he's taking on all of Bart's thugs. And mm-hmm. then also the uh, the nameless monk who is great. So this is – and th- these, these fight sequences are still fantastic. But it's the one weak part, I would say, of the fight scenes because when Jet Li first starts fighting the, this group of thugs – they're maybe not as experienced stuntmen because there's a few moments where there's guys just standing there. You know, that unrealistic, like one attacks, then the next attacks, then the next. Whereas classically in Hong Kong cinema, the guys know how to move around. So it looks like they're not waiting. We have that first bit of them fighting. There's multiple shots of guys just standing there waiting, then going in. And it, it, that is one thing that doesn't stand the test of time. It, it, it definitely, um, 
There's some rigidity. It's definitely uh, not like Kiss of the Dragon, Transporter 1 or 2, or even um, or even the District, District 13. B13. B13. Yeah. B, yeah, thank you. B13. It's not like it's not like those films where there's constant movement. Uh, there is there, there 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 definitely feels like there is a little bit of amateurness, but I guess that kind of fits because well, the fighters are all amateur. I guess so maybe he, they were just afraid of him. But the thing is, this is just us being nitpicky because what Jet Li is doing with the guy he's actually fighting all the or the gentleman when he's fighting them one at a time, that's all fantastic. That choreography oh, yeah. is great. This and that is just from viewers of martial arts cinema are going to like really notice that the guys and it could just be the setup they had the camera angle uh because even if you go back and watch like fist of fury with bruce lee it's not like all those guys in the dojo are attacking him at the same time but it's just the way they move the way the camera's set up we just have a few shots where there's guys like standing you could tell they're waiting then they come in so Mm -hmm. that's just being a little nitpicky but you know he makes mincemeat of them uh, as expected so that's where we get the monk character who was briefly shown earlier in the film foreshadowing and he's he's a a a bald white dude who wears all white kind of like bart he has a uh a short sword, you know, it's bigger than a knife. It's like a Chinese style sword, but a very short one. And uh, he's played by the stuntman martial artist, Michael Ian Lambert, who Mm -hmm. most people would remember from a film we reviewed, The Quest. He plays the Scottish fighter. And then uh, he was also famously in Black Mask. So he's fought Jet Li before, and Mm -hmm. he did a bunch of other stunt work. And for the last 20 years, has done a lot of high-level fight choreography and stunt choreography. Like, you know, he did the Justice League movie. He was the fight choreographer. He did the Immortals. So he's done well for himself now, so I'm happy to hear that. But he's kind of that that later... the last wave of the Guaylos to come over to Hong Kong cinema when almost all the others had already left because there wasn't really as much work. Uh, Really, there was just kind of like the Jackie and some Jet Li movies, right? But like kind of almost like Jude Poyer uh, came over around that time. And, you know, I believe he also worked on The Hitman with Jet Li. So this last wave of like Guaylo stunt guys, but he himself is a very high level martial artist, multi-time British and European Taekwondo champion, very high level. And you see that in this role. So we get a final fight, which is great because we've mostly had group fights. Yes, he fought one-on-one with Silvio earlier in the film, but we get a finale which has group fighting, but then also has this fantastic one-on-one sequence. Starts off as a weapons fight with uh, the monk's knife and then Jet Li just using random uh, uh, fireplace tools to fight him. Uh And then the action moves to a whole nother apartment in the building and that's when we get a close quarter combat fight. So it starts off. At a, I, I will say yeah. it, it it has to rank amongst we've seen it. We've seen a few toilet bathroom fight sequences. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, starting back at the Warriors and working its, our way through the Mission Impossible. Films, oh, yeah. This is maybe the tightest quartered fight sequence we've seen. And and the best part is uh michael still gets to use his kicks so because they start off in the bathroom like uh area he's still able to throw a bunch of kicks and they're beautiful and they're hard hitting but he's making them work for that space but then what great happens, switch yeah. kicks as oh, well yeah. right i mean each one is just as believable i, I wasn't sure how 
how he would work with Jet Li. Right. There's, there is one shot, though, where I'm not sure if it's all his legs. I think they mm-hmm. may have used a dummy leg just because of the rhythm and speed. And yeah. it's from the, do you know which part I'm talking about? I was like, uh, yes, I oh, do. I don't know. That may have been a dummy leg, which is <laughs> Hong Kong does that from time to time. And it's not like only a seasoned veteran would pick up on that. But I'm like, yeah, ah, I don't know. That may have, it was just too fast from too it, many different angles. It's something you would see in a Jet Li film from the 90s or even a Stephen Chow film where that dummy leg comes out. Or even like, like you know, they did it in Who Am I with Jackie Chan, yes, where they yes. used the dummy legs because yes. it would have been physically impossible for someone to actually do that kicking. So from there, though, it segues into what would be the toilet area, which is in yeah. its own separate like little room. Now, what, now they, when they're in that toilet area, uh-huh. what they seem to shift uh, the fighting style. Oh, 100 percent. So what is that? What would you say they shifted to? So in, in like in a Hong Kong style fight scene, like one that pops up in my mind is Yuen Biao versus Fat Chung in the elevator in Twinkle yes. Twinkle Lucky Stars. It's like Wing Chun style. This is not yes. Wing Chun at all. So what we're getting is uh, Michael Lambert can no longer use his kicks. So he's using just kind of what would be like a kickboxing style uh, punches. He does elbows. I believe he throws a headbutt and the yes. Jet Li, same thing. So really it's just very vicious, close range combat fighting, but Jet Li ends up prevailing simply because he's also kicking, punching, elbowing, and headbutting. But then he starts to use, as I mentioned before, some of that joint manipulation stuff, the mm-hmm. chin na, the twisting of his elbow, and he's attacking joints. He's doing like joint, uh, not just manipulation, but almost like nerve striking. He's like attacking really like the armpit area and this and that. But then the best thing he does that literally made Jessica like wince is he bites him you know he takes a chunk out of like almost like it's like he bit off his nipple it's that area which once again uh it's like bruce lee famously said in long street right like you know what do you do in this situation you bite him he's like bite him yeah if you make a goal out of trying to bite somebody good chance you're gonna lose your teeth but if you're in a close range combat situation like that and it works and it totally does so i wouldn't really say there's a particular style they're utilizing just close range combat techniques and then that kick that he throws though to his yes. head, yeah. And then and then as as uh, Keanu Reeves told Scott Atkins this week, the the power powder yes. explodes. I mean, but that is such a beautiful. I mean, it's 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 a really. I don't know how he delivered that because he's going, he's missing the toilet and going up and tapping the top of his head. It, it is a it is a kick that's going to stand out to me. Yeah, and well, Jet Li is famous for those kind of almost crescent-style kicks. That's the, yeah. the wushu style, you know, because it, it's a – a lot of people think that there isn't kicking in kung fu or, you know, because a lot of people are southern-based styles. But even in southern-based styles, like Hungara has strong kicks. But the northern, obviously, Chinese martial arts styles utilize a lot of high kicks and aerial kicks. However, that being said, they don't necessarily look like Taekwondo or Muay Thai, and a lot of them are kind of crescent-style kicks. And – it just works perfect for this situation. So pretty much Jet Li prevails. Uh, spoiler alert, kicks this guy out a window, tries to save him, but he falls to his death. And well, they, yeah, he does try to save him. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like a sequence where it's like Jackie holding on to Benny the Jet. And he's like, pull me up. Yeah. He doesn't get to the pull me up part because he's wearing this silly white linen. Why would anyone wear white linen that thin to a fight? It rips. He falls onto Bob Hoskins car. Yeah, and there we go. And then we get our finale, which we'll let you guys watch the film to actually enjoy. Now, this movie is not available to stream anywhere right now for free. I'm assuming you had to rent it. 
I did. Yeah. So you could rent it in Prime or YouTube, I'm sure. Or there, there's and, lots. And there, there are two versions on YouTube. I rented the theatrical version. Mm-hmm. After I rented that, of course, I realized there's an extended version. So there was an extra minute and a half. I don't know. Yeah, it's not what's much. in I that have, minute and a I half. I have the DVD in it. It's like that you have that option. Now, I watched the uncut version, which is another third one. So there's really not that much of a difference. Uh, but yeah, that's the film in a nutshell. I give this an A, A+. Plus. We have legendary Hollywood actors in it giving legendary performances. We have a great story for our star, for Jet Li. He gets to give a, you know, award-winning performance, uh, one of the best of his career. Physically, we get to see him do some great action that we had in a long time. Yes, he is doubled for some parts, but then there's a lot of parts where you're expecting it to be a double and the camera stays and you're like, oh, wow, he did that. So in this case, I think most of the doubling was for stuff that he just couldn't really do anymore. He famously jacked up his ankle on Once Upon a Time in China, uh, which, yeah, was the early 90s. But after that, there a lot of stuff he just, I feel like maybe specifically jumping stuff he couldn't do anymore. But there's a couple of throws that he does where mm-hmm. you're thinking it's going to be a double. No, it's him. You see him like fall down with the guy and start smashing him. So for the most part, we get to see Jet performing the action, which is great too. I would say physicality-wise, this is his most arduous film that I've seen him in. That's also, you know a lot to do with the editing and the camera work and just the locations. But this just feels absolutely physically grueling and exhausting for him to do. I mean, even just the fight style that we talked about doing something. I mean, there's a lot of charging, a lot of shoulder checks, yeah. a lot of head butts. This is definitely very physically uncharacteristic. But also, I think when we've talked about Jet Li films before, this is kind of what we n- knew he could do and wanted from him, but often there was a lot of wire work or sped up work because of the working situation. A lot of his Hong Kong films. This is this. I would say what I like about his Western films, particularly four in particular: uh, Kiss of the Dragon, uh, Unleashed. I'm gonna remember the other two: uh, Lethal Weapon Four and the one with Aaliyah. A Romeo Must Die. Romeo Must Die. What I like about all of these films is you get a different version of his martial arts style on film. And each each, each uh, character's martial arts suits the character, if that makes sense. And so it's a real nice... Uh, it's a real nice uh, catalog that he's given us. And this is his most physically grueling film, period, from, from my perspective. So I, I know I said period, I should say comma, then period after my perspective. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah, fantastic. So highly recommend you guys watch this film, check it out. Uh, even if you have to rent it, it is worth it. A great, great action picture. So uh, finishing up with Language Corner, I thought, obviously it's Jet Li, so we'll do some Mandarin. What better than, and once again, I pick nice and easy ones, dog. Go. Go. Yep, so the the down and up tone so go go yep let's see it's that simple g-o g-o-u and pinion go so you may say oh shall go like little dog or uh it it can also be used for a swear word but i mean i'm I'm not gonna say how to how to say it how to Uh, say it as a swear word but uh yeah so just go oh oh need a goal and i you know your your dog's very cute yes so yeah that's simple so uh 
there we go. Uh, All right. A great film. I uh, had a lot of fun rewatching this. We we struggled to pick a movie this week. I I kept picking one and I'd watch it and I would text Gavin, no, don't start it. I changed my mind. I'd pick a movie, watch it all the way. And I was watching these all the way through. I'd be like, no, you were. Don't, don't watch this. And then- So you, you know, one thing I want to say, I want to say this to our listeners, everybody listen up. No, uh, there are weeks, I think the last episode where because of my schedule, we had to record Tuesday and AJ somehow turned it around and released it on Wednesday. He's doing a lot of producing behind the scenes with these episodes, getting the sound right. And this, between that week of releasing it, of the recording to release date turnaround being so quick, and then this week going through so many films, I think you went through at least three, if not five films before we found a film this film to land on. So, I mean, like, and luckily you've been, you, you've been putting in the work. You remember this one because for some reason I finally decide, oh, Jet Li, we haven't done Jet Li in forever. Let's do a Jet Li movie. And then you had talked about this like a month ago, yes. how you hadn't seen it. So it was perfect. So yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm so happy we got to do it. Likewise. All right, my man, I will catch you later. Sounds good. Take care. Peace.